So just like you, I, obviously we live in the same world, so I, I live in this world of Instagram contests and Twitter updates and Facebook statuses and social media, and that's just the world that we live in. And in some ways, it's really fun. I, what I think is really cool is how I can be out with my, my kids and my family, and, and I can snap a picture of like me doing something fun with my daughters and my parents who live like 3,000 miles away. They can see it and they're like, wow, you know, Kylie's so adorable. You know, like they can have that interaction even though they're not right by me. I love that. I think it's one of the best things that we've got going for us as far as social media goes. And, and I think it's really cool how like I can throw up some details on Twitter about vertigo and kickoff and what's happening. And you guys kind of read those and be like, oh, sweet barbecue. I guess I'll go to that. And that's, that's awesome because it's convenient, right? In fact, anyone just out of curiosity, anyone see our countdown of 10 reasons? To, anyone see those things going down today? Yeah. Ten reasons why our kickoff is better than a $12 dance. <clears throat> okay, just throwing that out there. Uh, anyways, um, there was actually some reasons that I couldn't tweet because it wasn't appropriate. But anyways, I, uh, if I say them now, I'll just have to edit the recording before it goes on the internet. So I can't even say them. But ask me later. I got some other good reasons. But anyways... It's just really sweet, though, like the social media, like the connectedness. I like being connected, and it, it's sweet how, like, you know, one of my friends, like, go on vacation, something crazy happens, and you see this, like, Instagram photos, like, I came back from a hike, and there was a monkey in my bathtub, and you're like, no freaking way, right? And there's, like, snap a picture, and you're like, that's crazy. Kind of feel like I'm journeying with them, and, like, you know, and just chilling with them, and, uh, and I love that. I think it's, I think it's just amazing. Uh, but here's the dark side of social media. I'm just going to level with you and be really honest because this is like my struggle. This is the thing that is going to mess with me if I'm not really careful. It, it's, I, I'm, I'm tempted to do something that's a little bit sinister with social media. And now it's not what you think. Um, well, all right, maybe it is a little, like, for instance, like earlier today, Oscar was still logged into Facebook on the media computer, so I updated his status about going to see a One Direction concert, but that's not what I was going to talk about. Um, if you didn't know that, you do now, but anyways, um, whatever. So you might have new friends who want to go to a concert with you, Oscar, but okay. So that's not the sinister thing that I'm tempted to do, although I am tempted to do that, and it is sinister. The sinister thing that I'm really tempted to do is to create this, like, ideal persona of myself. And let me explain what I mean. Like, in real life, when like, you and I talk, when we hang out together, I don't get to edit my thoughts so that they come out perfectly, right? Like, we just have conversations, and, and sometimes I say dumb stuff. But that doesn't really happen on social media because I like, write it and look at it and be like, wait a minute, that makes me sound like I'm an idiot. Rephrase. Okay, good. And I get to do that. It's like an edited version of me. And, you know, in real life, I don't get to make sure that the way I look is always right. You know, like, you know, busy days happen. You know, I was already here, and I was like, huh, it's the kickoff. I probably should have shaved. I kind of look like a hobo, you know? And, and I was like, I probably should have done that. I would have been a little more presentable, but I forgot. But it's like, you know, that's the real world. But then in, like, social media world, I'd just be like, well, I just won't post that picture I'll just use a different one because it's an edited version of myself, right? See, most of my real life is actually really boring, full of untweetable stuff. If I, like, tweeted all the things I'm doing, it's like, I am now using a paper cutter. Woohoo! Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's my regular life. It's actually probably more of our intern's life right now because it's cool that we have interns. Like, now that I'm, like, I'm, like, tweeting, my interns are using a paper cutter. You know what I mean? Like, but it's really, my life is not that actually exciting. But I don't generally put that stuff on Facebook. And so what I worry about is this. What I worry about is that I will use social media to lie to you about who I am. 
I worry that I'm going to do that because, you see, if all of the photos that I post are of these, like, really exciting, like, epic locations, you know, like, every time I go on a traveling kind of journey somewhere, I'm always, I'd be like, oh, yeah, check this out, right? Like, it's just, like, awesome times. You know, like, I have a lot of friends and family who live back in Ontario. It's like, we live out here. So every time I go on the ferry, I just be like, selfie, mountains, ocean. It's be like, oops, I just tagged five Ontario people. How do you like that? You live in a flat land with no, with no oceans, you know, and I'm you like that picture. And, you know, what it does, though, is if you look through all of my stuff, it makes it look like I'm really always doing cool things. I'm actually not. But that's just kind of the way it is. Or, you know, if the only time I'm updating my Facebook and my tweets is I'm like, oh, yeah, I just got another free coffee at Starbucks. Look how awesome I am. People be like, wow, that guy always gets hookups. But it's like it only happens like hardly ever. And I just want to make sure I say it because then it sounds really impressive. Um, you know, when you meet me face to face after looking at my feed, you might think that my life is like always at a 10, like all the time. But it's actually not the real me it's just the me that I sometimes present to the world. Do you know what I'm saying? And it's kind of like you get a photoshopped version of my life. And speaking of a photoshopped version of my life, like there's a picture of me and Bono hanging out. Like that's cool, right? You know, that's not photoshopped at all, right? Like we can, we can do that. See, the reality is, is I'm not perfect. I'm pretty ordinary. And my life is usually not at a 10. My life usually feels like a 4, what you don't see on my social media feeds is like the lack of sleep because I had a crazy week and I just was too busy. You don't see on my social media feed that because I was busy and I didn't get sleep that I'm actually really sad that I didn't get to hang out with my kids as much as I wanted to. What you don't see is like the serious conversations that like I have with my wife and just be like, yeah, that's really private. I'm not going to share those things. And you don't see all that stuff, right? So if you only see the edited version of me, well, you might not actually know the real me because that's just my persona. And that's just, you know, it, it's the larger-than-life internet bragging, but it's not me. And I know that I'm not the only one. And so speaking of Photoshop, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but like how many people in this room have ever Photoshopped their profile pic? Honestly. You just be like, well, I'm just going to remove that pimple because that's awkward, right? Like, or it's like, oh, uh, kind of looking a little round. I could just, you know, squeeze that in. Whatever. And even if we're not like Photoshop editing, we're still really selective of the pictures that represent us in the world. In fact, why don't you go, I think, yeah, like this is my actual reality, not Bono shots. Go to the next one though. One more. There we go. Right? Speaking of Photoshop editing our profile pictures, don't worry, that's not me. Um, kind of looks like Jeremy Wilson. <laughs> it's not, though, but it looks like, weird, Jeremy. You're working out, buddy. <laughs> kind of, you're a little more serious. I don't know. Uh, anyways, whatever. The thing is, is that even when we're not Photoshopping our profile pics, we're still really selective of what we actually use as our profile pics, right? Because... If there's an option of being presented as beautiful and smart and creative and intriguing instead of, well, like average-ish, then there's a clear winner. And we all know people, it's happened to me, there's people where like, I have to meet someone for the first time. So it's like, I'll be like, well, I'll just kind of creep their Facebook so I know who I'm looking for in Starbucks, right? Because I'm like, hey, you know, 
You get an email, hey, I came to Vertigo and I just wanted to grab a coffee, talk about coming to Lifeline. I'm like, oh, sweet, I'd love to plug you in. Somebody like, creep their Facebook. Like, what does this person look like? Okay, looking for them. And then I meet them and I don't even recognize them because their Facebook photo is like so photoshopped. I'm like, you don't look like that at all. Weird. Okay, anyways, that happens. And, you know, we have this version of ourselves that we wish we were. And actually, um, statistics say that um, 50% of girls under the age of 16 who use Instagram have a magic number that they would know immediately if you asked. Um, it's the magic number of Instagram likes that they have to have when they post a selfie in order to feel pretty. Crazy, I did not know that until just recently. But there's actually a number, it's like, you know, oh, new outfit, and unless there's a certain number, it's like, ooh, not wearing that again. That's crazy, right? See, we get psyched when people retweet us and comment on our updates, and, and probably because when we have those kinds of interactions in like the social media world, it actually allows us to start believing that we are the person that we're presenting ourselves to be, that we are the person with perfect hair and an always awesome life. It kind of helps us believe the lie. And, you know, getting together with our friends, though, then just kind of becomes this getting together of personas. Like, nobody's actually a real person. You're just kind of like getting together with the best image of somebody, and you have no real meaningful conversations. It's kind of like an improv play where everybody kind of knows their role, and we know when to laugh, and we know what to talk about, and we know, you know, when to be like, selfies! Oh, wait, duck face. You know, and you know what I'm saying? Like, everybody just kind of knows what to do. It's like scripted. It's on cue. And there's no spontaneous anything. And what do you do if you're hanging out with your friends? And they're like, duck face. And you're like, you look like an idiot. You just broke the code. Don't you know? Like, we don't talk about that. There's nothing spontaneous going on. It's just like we know our part. We accept it. We invent ourselves the way we want to be. And then we pretend that's who we are. And we wonder why we're lonely. Because we actually have nobody who knows the real us because all we just want to make sure is that the us that people see is maybe better than who we really think we are. So why are we talking about this? Because when it comes to Jesus, I think sometimes we really rock the persona really well when it comes to Jesus. You see, we think we can kind of just put it all together and we can present Jesus with our persona you know, we have these moments where it's like maybe it's, it's a worship time or a church time and we kind of just walk in, you know, confident and we just kind of robotically, you know, it's like, all right, totally no. Oh, this is the time where I raise my hands. Sweet. Okay, got it. Yeah, I've got a really good worship face. Yes, Jesus. Oh, yeah. You know, like you're like, I got it. If it's just a persona, it's like we've learned our parts and we fool lots of people, right? Like we, we totally do. There's times where, I gotta be honest with you, like, I just, I don't feel like I'm anywhere near where I want to be spiritually, but like, I still know that despite the fact how I feel, I can still rock the persona. I can still go to the prayer. Here's the thing, every prayer meeting, here's, here's, if, you're, if you're not up to it, you just mean, thank you, Jesus. Mm. Praise God. You could like, record that and just put it behind you and have a nap. And most people would be like, wow, like, this is pretty spiritual. Like, this, he's just in the zone. Like, how does he do it? Like, the thing is, we think we can get away with this. And I know I'm kind of, I'm exaggerating, I'm making fun a little bit. But the thing is, is that we sometimes think that we can just rock the persona. 
And, and, and there's times where I've tried to do that where I pray with a very rehearsed confidence and, and go about my day almost believing that I do have it all together. And then you catch yourself in the lie and like praying like, yeah, God, and like I pray for this. And all of a sudden I realize, wait a minute, I don't have it all together at all. I'm like, I'm a mess. And it changes your prayers. And instead of having these really confident, well-articulated sentences, all I'm really left with is, okay, God, please help me because I don't even know what I'm doing. See, something happens when we drop the persona, and if we don't drop the persona, well, don't worry. Jesus doesn't buy it, just so you know. He kind of sees through it. And, and as we open up the Bible to the book of Mark this fall in this series called This is Gospel, we're going to realize really quickly that Jesus has this habit of like breaking through personas. It's just what he does. There's just no faking. Jesus enters the scene, and he's so upfront, it's almost rude. Like, Jesus is that guy on Facebook who sees your Photoshop profile pic and promptly tags you with a real photo commenting, by the way, this is what you really look like. Like, he's that guy. And you know, like, in the social media world, that's, like, so rude. You know what I mean? You're like, you know, slip your, like, designer friend 20 bucks, like, totally, like, airbrush the heck out of you so you look awesome. And you, like, update your profile pic. And then, like, send your friends, like, oh, that's totally fake. Here's a, here's a photo of you I tagged the other day. And it's like when you're half asleep, you're like, Nyeh. And you're like, ah, oh, dang it. All that 20 bucks wasted because now I look stupid. But Jesus is that guy. He just, like, crashes through the persona. And he's like, oh, sorry, no, that's actually not you. And i got to be honest and ask you, like, are you actually prepared for that? Are you ready to encounter a Jesus who is, is going to do that? Because here's just a little bit of spoiler. As you read the book of Mark, that Jesus' whole habit of cutting through the fake behavior and just getting right into people's lives, it's actually what got him hated and eventually killed. Because people like their personas. People like not having to actually deal with the stuff that's in their heart. It's so much easier to just bury down that stuff. We bury down the ugly and we bury down the things that are messed up and that are hurting. And we'd be like, man, that is painful to deal with. So I'll bury that down real deep. And then I can just act this part. And then Jesus just shows up and he's like, totally not interested. Let's talk about that. And you're like, no. You see, that's what's going on in Mark's gospel is Jesus just keeps walking in people's lives and they say really cool things. I'm like, hey there, wise teacher. And he's like, you're a snake. Jesus does stuff like that because he knows their heart. He's like, don't even wise teacher me. You are a snake. All you do is manipulate religious laws so you can take advantage of other people. You pretend like you love God, but you just love yourself. You're a snake. Nobody should ever follow this guy. Hey, everybody, no one follow him. He's a faker. And we wonder why Jesus didn't always have that many friends. He does that. It's a little scary. And I, I just have to ask you, like right up front, are you prepared to deal with Jesus. You know, we say all this, and then the real question is, well, why, but why does he do that? Why can't he just play nice and like my picture like everybody else? Why does he have to be so rude? Why does he have to burst the bubble? Why does Jesus crash through our pretending? It's because Jesus is not what you actually expected God to ever be like. 
And he crashes through because he's not satisfied in transforming your persona. He's not satisfied in just transforming the Facebook you from the Facebook you that was like, hey, wicked party, I'm totally drinking like a 40 right now. He's not just interested in taking that picture to like a, hey, wicked party, I'm totally reading the Bible right now. Like he's, that's not like what he's after. He actually wants to transform your heart, which is terrifying. Because that means he's going to get in there and he's going to dig stuff up and he's going to deal with it. Is it scary? Yeah, but that's the gospel. That's what gospel is. is Jesus is coming to give you what you really need, not just what you're okay with. Because Jesus wants to heal what's broken, not just pretend that you're over it. He comes to empower you to live an extraordinary life, not to celebrate mediocre accomplishments that don't mean anything. He comes to bring the real you to this place where you really know him, not just pretend to really know him. And he's got this crazy idea that you could live this life that's full of purpose and passion and conviction and not just like causes all day long on Facebook. See, Jesus' vision for your life is one of adventure and intimacy, one that's full of fear and triumph, one where brave people become what they were made for instead of settling for less. It's this world where the evil that has ravaged your soul and your family and your friends is defeated once and for all, and then you actually know what real freedom feels like. It's this life where you find your security in knowing him instead of pandering for other people's approval, that's the life that Jesus comes to give you. And you don't get that life when it's just persona. So he's got to cut through to the heart to give you what you need, not just what you're okay with. And so you should not make a mistake here that Jesus, yes, he is far from what you expected, but he's exactly what you need. And we see that right from the beginning of Mark's gospel, which is why Mark opens his gospel by saying... The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He says, like, blam, I'm putting it out there. This is it. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And you might say, I don't know what's in that introduction and why it matters. But we need to look at what this word gospel means. See, our series is called This is Gospel, so understanding that word will help. See, before Jesus was born, we've got these inscriptions, of the, these Roman inscriptions Let's say this, the beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus, the son of God. Did you know that? You think this is the, Jesus is the first person that this kind of language was used to describe? Before Jesus is born, literally, there are these stories about Caesar Augustus, and they all begin the same way. The beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus, the son of God. And gospel is actually primarily a military word. It's a word for like the report of the battle victory. And it literally means the good news of a new era that's beginning. That's what gospel means. And so Romans would use this term when, when Caesar Augustus defeated the, enemy, the enemies of Rome, and then he brings peace. Then they send messengers to each town declaring, Caesar is the Son of God, the Prince of Peace. And this is his good news. This is his gospel that will change everything. Oh, hail Caesar. Caesar Augustus. Wow, what a guy. This is his gospel. This is the good news of Caesar Augustus. In other words, they're saying, this is the good news that will bring you hope. Caesar Augustus defeated our enemies. He's brought peace. A new era has begun. Because of Caesar Augustus, Rome is safe. 
This is the good news of victory. And so Mark, the guy who's writing this part of the Bible, he's not a stranger to that. He hears those proclamations like Caesar Augustus is this recent emperor and he knows. So the proclamation that Caesar is the son of God because the hope he brings to the Roman people, well, that's old news. And the truth that Mark would have known, though, is that the gospel of Caesar really didn't actually bring much hope to anyone. Because everywhere Caesar went, he promised peace, but he left a famine. The thousands of soldiers in the Roman legion got much of their pay from whatever they could steal after a battle from the local villages. So men were killed in battle, and then the children became slaves, which the Roman soldiers used to bring with them and then sell and make a profit off the children. And the women were usually sexual playthings. It's not uncommon for women in villages that had Roman armies come through to be raped hundreds of times. See, Caesar promised all this peace, but his gospel never really brought anyone any hope. And the cost of these wars was enormous, and so the taxes were just backbreaking. Most of the grain that was harvested by the peasants and the Roman emperor, it was, it was taken in service of the emperor. The gospel of Caesar promised peace, but it left desolation. And it's in this culture that Mark decides he's going to do something that's like committing treason, basically. He decides he's going to contradict Rome. And so he starts writing a story, and he doesn't begin it by saying, this is the beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus, the Son of God. He says, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And if you're reading that in those days, you'd be like, whoa, this guy is going to be in trouble. I can't believe he wrote that. It's big. When you're in the first century and you hear this, this proclamation, your ears perked up. Okay, who is Jesus Christ? Because the only person that I get those kinds of stories from is Caesar, and that guy is he's a little crazy. Um, who's Jesus? Who's Jesus? What hope does he bring? Well, that's the beginning of this story. You can understand why most people expected Mark's gospel to be a military story. They thought, okay, well, if Jesus is the Son of God, and this is his gospel. What is he going to do? Break? Oh, is he going to build an army? Is he going to take on Rome? Heck yeah. Nope. And Mark actually tells us right away, so we keep reading. He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So then John the Baptist came, preparing the people for Jesus Christ by baptizing them and proclaiming the need for repentance for the forgiveness of their sins. To answer the question of what this gospel of Jesus is all about and why John the Baptist has to come and do his thing, you need to understand Mark starts quoting this Old Testament passage, this part of the Bible that foretold that Jesus was going to come. And in fact, it's a direct rip from the text. Can I read you what the original, this is the text. I paraphrase it a bit so it makes it easier to understand, but this is what it says. It says, Behold, God will first send a messenger and he will prepare the way before the Lord, the one that you've been waiting for. And when the Lord comes, he will come suddenly and he'll enter the temple. But don't get excited yet. Because who can endure the day that he shows up? Who can stand when he appears? For the Lord is like a gold refining furnace. 
He's like straight bleach, purifying absolutely everything. He's going to purify the priests. He's going to take on corruption and put an end to religious pretending. But when he's done, people will have true, real life. Their lives will be like the finest silver and gold, beautiful to look at, valuable inside and out. You see, that's what the Old Testament had given this image of why this Messiah is going to come. And Mark makes it clear that the gospel of Jesus is not going to be what you expect. It's not somebody showing up and being like, okay, I'm here right now. We're going to take care of these Romans who kind of control things and set up our own kingdom. No, 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 not at all. When Jesus shows up, he doesn't come and do what we expect. He doesn't deal with our personas. He starts cutting to the core as to who we are as people. And that's all that refining talk. So John the Baptist, he comes right to prepare the people, which is a good idea because when the Old Testament tells you that when the Lord comes, he's going to come and purify you, well, now's a good time to kind of get ready so you don't have to go through some crap. So John comes and says, get your life right now. Purify yourself so that, you, so that he doesn't have to do it for you. Let me baptize you with water as a symbol of you turning from your sins. Because after me... He who is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie, will come. And I will baptize you with water, but he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is pretty intense stuff. It's crazy. So what does this all mean? What does it mean? I'll tell you exactly what it means. We pick up this story, and I've got it here in the next slide, and you can follow along with me. So this is right after all this has happened. Jesus is doing his thing. And this is what we read. It says, So they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and was teaching. A a synagogue is like a Jewish version of church. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not like their scribes. And immediately, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. is demon-possessed. Okay, crazy stuff going down. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This is intense things happening in your church, basically. Okay, let me just, can I stop there? Like, let's just think about this. If you go to church on Sunday, this would be weird. You got some guy who stands up and he's like, I know who you are, Holy One of God. And you're like, whoa, dude over here is like foaming at the mouth and being weird. That's kind of what's going down. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere through the surrounding region of Galilee. Do you see what's happening here? Anybody? Jesus is in the synagogue, you know, the place where all the good religious people go to hang out. The people who are supposed to know all about God and kind of hang out once a week and talk about him. Kind of like church. But you see, it's only a persona, and we know that because right there among them in their church is this guy who's possessed by a demon. Don't, don't miss this. See, in our world, there are these two things that fight for your allegiance, religion and life. They're not the same. And maybe the biggest surprise about the gospel of Jesus is that he doesn't come to make people religious. 
He's not what you expect. God shows up in human flesh as Jesus Christ. And I guess if it was me, my expectation would be the first thing he would do would be to go to the synagogue where they read the Bible and be like, high five, you guys are my peeps. Wicked, you're on the same page here. That's kind of what I'm thinking, right? That's what I expect. You have people who say, hey, let's make sure we gather together and remember that we're God's people. And then God shows up and you think he's going to go there and just high five everybody. But nope. What he does is he exposes their pretending. See, all this time in their synagogue, they talk about being holy, being God's people. They look down on other people pointing out their sins, but the whole time, right there among them is this man who's possessed by a demon. And either they didn't notice or they were so busy pretending they didn't notice. Have you ever been a part of a group of people where there's a big white elephant in the room and nobody will talk about it? Where it's like everybody's kind of thinking the same thing, but we all just kind of pretend like it's not happening. That's their synagogue. They get together and they'd be like, oh, praise God, he's awesome. Look how powerful he is. The new guy's like, there's a dude in the corner like being crazy. His head's spinning around in circles and stuff. We don't talk about Steve, okay? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's kind of what's... Either they don't notice or they're pretending they don't notice. Which is really sad. It's really sad. Because either way, it's really clear that for all of their religion, these religious people, they, ha- they don't actually have life. Because immediately when Jesus shows up, he does what their religion can't do. He sets this man free, sending the demon out of him. This man, Jesus gives this man back his life. Religion could not do that. And it reminds us, what Mark says Jesus was going to do, that he was going to take on the corruption, that he was going to expose the pretending, and he was going to bring real life where previously there was only religion, that he would make it so that people's lives were like the finest silver and gold, beautiful to look at, valuable inside and out. Jesus could have pretended too. He could have let everyone stay comfortable. It was when this synagogue posted a Facebook status that says like, actually I think I have this one. It's a good Facebook status update. I got like the synagogue guy. Great synagogue service today. What a great synagogue service today. Starting an intense study of the book of Leviticus with some other guys next week. Hashtag religion. Hashtag got this thing. Hashtag holier than you. And this is like Jesus commenting me like, FYI, there's a demon-possessed guy at your synagogue. You're not as spiritual as you think you are. Now does it make sense how rude this is? Okay, that's the thing. You don't understand. Like Jesus is kind of like just edgy about this. Ouch. See, when Jesus shows up, he exposes religion as hollow and he makes it clear. He says, listen, I've come to give you real life. I've come to give you real hope. I've come to give you what religion can't. And I'm going to be in your face about it. And I'm not going to pretend. But the upside is you will get the life that you were made for. Because all of the pretending of religious people never gave a demon-possessed man back his life. So the question is, what does this have to do with you? Well, you might be a little more comfortable with a Jesus who just politely likes the statuses of your life, but if you open your life up to Jesus, you're going to get something better because Jesus actually already sees behind your persona. Jesus already knows what's happening in the real of your life. And the great thing about Jesus is that he knows all your secrets and he loves you anyway. You ever think about that? But then the scary thing is, is that Jesus knows all your secrets and he's coming to change your life. There's no fooling him. Jesus will enter your story and he will change everything. He will mess you up. 
And if you don't believe me, there are some people in this room that have already had Jesus like mess up their life. And I mean that in the best possible way. But where you think you can just go on pretending and Jesus is like, mm, no. But I just know. But I know. But no. And Jesus is like, I'm going to shut you down. I will shut you down all day long. I'm going to change your life. Jesus doesn't let us pretend. And it's probably one of the best things about him. He defies our expectations. He's not afraid to make you uncomfortable. Because he's a different kind of hero. Jesus doesn't come to add some bonuses to your life. He comes to deal with the real stuff. And that's actually what we really need. Because I know that you already have friends who tell you what you want to hear. But what you actually need is a God who loves you, who steps into your life to clean up the mess. That's what we need. And that's what Jesus does. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why there's hope with him. And there's not hope with other people. Because that's the gospel, that he steps into our lives and cleans up the real mess. He crashes through your pretending. Because he wants to heal what's broken, not just pretend that you're over it. He has this crazy idea. You could live a life full of passion and vision. And he wants to give that to you. He's not what you expected. I hope that you will embrace this gospel. I hope that you will actually embrace the real and you'll actually let Jesus encounter the real you. It's scary. But I dare you to open up your heart to the real Jesus who deals with the real you. Can we stand together? I'd love to close in prayer. I know we got some cake that's calling our names, so that's a good thing. Father, we, we, we stand before you absolutely laid bare. And we may have come into this room with a persona. We may have everybody in our lives fooled. We may even have ourselves fooled. Some of us stood through worship with a list of secrets so long that we even can't even remember them all the time. We put up a really good front, but we don't know how to put it down. But God, we stand before you in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that you invade our lives and deal with what needs to be dealt with, that you deal with the real. That although you come in and purify, you do it to give us the life that we were meant for. And so God, I pray that you'd make us brave so that we wouldn't run away from you and we would let you change our heart, not just our persona. Father, I pray that you would bless the rest of our evening. In your name we pray. Amen. As is our custom, in ancient times when a person wanted to give a blessing to another person, they would raise their hands like this. And then those who wanted to receive a blessing would do the same. If you'd like to receive a blessing from God, you can just raise your hands up in the air. You don't have to do that if you're not comfortable. May your heart be courageous. May you have the guts to look Jesus straight in the eye and trust his love. And may you open all the doors of your life to allow him to change who you are and make you into what he's made you to be. Amen. Thanks for being at Vertigo. There's some cake and ice cream to be eaten, so go for it. Music?
Hello. Can we put some fun music on? You spent that trash around me. I'm dodging sticks and stones. You fell at the handle. You crash like that Jones. Oh. 